Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. Girls are dropping out of sports at an alarming rate, and there are a lot of reasons behind it, which we're going to get into during this next podcast. But as you're listening, don't lose sight of the bigger picture. When girls aren't participating in sports, it's not just a kid not exercising anymore. It's so much bigger than that. It's a girl losing a healthy outlet to express themselves, to gain self-confidence, to make lasting friendships, to learn how to lead and how to fail. It means, as a society, we have less mentally healthy people in it, and ultimately, when girls aren't supported and given the best chance to excel mentally, as well as physically, society loses. It's much more than just exercise. Meet my next guest, Alison Sandmeyer Graves, Chief Executive Officer of Canadian Women and Sport, who shares some of the findings from the Rally Report and what we can do to keep girls in the game. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I have some pretty strong opinions on it, but I want to hear... Uh, first off, let's just talk about the report in general and what were your findings uh, when it comes to girls in sports? Well, uh, this is our first report that we've done in four years. And so we had some ideas of what we might see, but we, but we were really interested in hearing more directly from the girls. And that is, I think, one of the things that makes this report really special is we went out and we talked to girls and women, as well as boys and men across Canada, 10,000 people to see, okay, what's going on? And really with a focus on, on childhood into adolescence, uh, because we've known from statistics in the past that there is a dropout rate uh, for girls in that adolescent period. Right. This is a new, this is a new information for us, right? We know this. Not necessarily, not new, but we were interested in knowing what's, what's changed and if anything has changed, because there's always something telling in that, as well as let's dig a little further. Let's get a little bit more insight into why is this going on so that we can start to drive more towards solutions. There's been some great things happening in Canada over the last, I would say, four years. A lot of government support from this. um, A lot of media attention has been growing, corporate support. And then just within the sports system, lots of new initiatives, policy shifts, things like that. We're wondering how they're translating. The reality is it's probably still early because we're still seeing a real dropout point for girls. One out of every three will drop out during adolescence, and that's compared to one in 10 boys. So So what is the starting, what is your starting uh, point for adolescence? 13? 
it's kind of as they shift into those teen years through into puberty and and then through and towards late late teenhood so yeah uh, what we see is that around that 13 to 15 point things start to really drop and it continues to go down uh, from 16 to 18. at the same time what we saw that was quite fascinating is over that same period while, while many girls are leaving or at least their their participation overall is declining we saw their confidence in themselves in sport goes down. Their sense of their skills goes down. Their sense of belonging goes down and their, their, um, their uh, self-confidence in their body also drops. So all of these important metrics that we understand are key for people staying motivated and, and engaged in sport just plummet. And we think that that's really telling and an opportunity to think differently about how we're engaging girls to really impact those key factors. Okay. So uh, just as a comparison, though, what is the, when we're looking at boys dropping out of sports, what's the rate for boys dropping out? So one out of every 10 boys will drop out over the course of their, their teens compared to one in three girls. Right. So that is a massive difference in that. It is, and we know that there are a lot of factors that impact boys and girls similarly. You know, cost of sport, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, family time and so on. Uh, but the fact that there is such a gendered difference in that dropout point tells us that girls are having a different experience within sport through that period. And one size just simply cannot fit all. We need to tailor some, some approaches specifically to the girls. Let's talk about some of the whys then. What were, what were the reasons you found that girls were dropping out of sports? Girls talked about things surely like um, access uh, and time, absolutely. And we know that in many communities, the opportunities available to girls uh, to play are less than what's available to boys. Um, just in terms of sheer numbers, there aren't as many girls teams, for instance, and so often girls end up playing co-ed um, and might be one of only a few girls on that team. So they talked about that. Uh, but 43% talked about the challenges that they're experiencing with the quality of sport. And when you dig into that, they talked about feeling like the experience really wasn't designed for them. It just doesn't meet their needs and interests. Uh, they talked about the quality of coaching and, and how the coach was interacting with and supporting them. Um, and so for us, that is um, quite interesting, isn't it? When you think about the fact that these are girls themselves saying, like, I'm not getting what I'm looking for here. Right. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about something again. So I said at the beginning, you know, I have some opinions on this. And I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, and I wasn't a great athlete by any stretch, but I, you know, I played sports. I dabbled in things. I noticed when my children were born, it became very much, you had to focus on a sport. Mm -hmm. And the sports clubs were very, um, you know, you were, you were all in. So it was, you didn't have time to be doing other sports. So I'm curious if there's sort of um, a burnout that maybe happens with these kids who are in these competitive sports from a young age. And then when they get to the teen years, they're just tapping out because they're burned out from, from this sport. There is some great research in Canada that talks about the hazards associated with single sport specialization uh, compared to that multi-sport engagement. 
And one of the key things that they talk about in that research is the, the fundamental movement skills that you develop by playing many different sports. Um, and what was interesting in this particular study that we did was to discover that girls are playing a lot of different sports. Uh, some of them are playing multiple sports, which for us was actually quite a positive sign. One, because it means that they're more likely to be resilient. You know, if one of the sports just isn't really working for them, they have others that they have experience with and that they can, that they can be confident or comfortable um, shifting to. We also know that um, girls really value choice, don't we all? They like being able to decide for themselves and having that autonomy and how they participate, where they participate, and so on. And so it all for us definitely reinforces the idea that providing opportunities for girls, whether it's your girl, your daughter, mm -hmm. or other girls in your community, the opportunity to try and experience many different sports, see which one fits or which ones fit for them, because the longer they can be engaged in multiple different forms of activity, the, the more sticking power, staying power sport will have in their lives. I would agree with that. So, you know, I, I mean, if I was giving advice to my younger mom self, I would say don't let them uh, commit to one sport quite like that. Because in our experience, what happened for us is that my daughter's actually sustained a back injury. Um, and so it's turned into a chronic back injury and she couldn't go back to her sport of choice. But there are other sports out there. However, she was a teenager when this happened, and so it became very much a self-conscious thing. Well, I'm not as good as the other kids. They've been in this for years. I don't want to look silly. And so there is, I wonder for girls, how often they try different sports once they hit adolescence. You know, I, I don't know that our study necessarily gave us a great view of that, but you point to something really interesting, which is that whole confidence factor. And as you say, a lot of kids have started quite young in their sports and they've got the literacy associated with that sport. It's hard to shift in and not be great at something, particularly during those teen years where, you know, they're, they're feeling really self-conscious about their bodies Belong, belonging and social connection we know is really important for girls in that moment. And so putting themselves out there where they're on display in a new sport or, in, or one that they're not as comfortable with, you know, can be extremely daunting and, uh, and a real barrier to them, to them branching out. And we know, we saw that injury is a major factor driving girls out of sport as well, which when you consider that happens in their teen years and they're barely getting started on their lifelong journey, um, tells us that that is also something that we really need to be paying attention to. When it comes to cost, was there any sort of um, uh, input or um, concern about barriers to participation when it comes to cost? That really showed up in the study as far as, um, as household income. And we looked not just at girls and women generally, we said, okay, what about girls who fall in, whose families fall into this income bracket 
or these different sort of demographic factors? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it seems logical, but it was quite striking to see that girls with a family income of less than $50,000 compared to, for instance, those with a family income of, of 100000 or more, there was quite a stark difference in their participation. And I think that really speaks to uh, affordability, absolutely. Probably also speaks to how uh, demands on the girls' time, right? Uh, in the sense of perhaps having more responsibilities within the household to, uh, to support the family and moving forward. And so when you consider that we want all girls to have access to sport and the benefits that sport provides and how this sets them up for success in life, uh, it's quite troubling that girls who are in those lower income brackets just aren't getting the same opportunities. When you looked at this, did you ask about, you know, was there any sort of correlation between their activity online, which we know is, you know, off the charts, uh, and their participation in sports? Was that sort of something that was you know, I always say to my girls, you're, you're watching everybody else doing, but you're not doing. Uh, and I think a lot of girls there, I know mine are not alone, obviously. I'm not, I'm just singling them out because they're mine. <laughs> but, um, but I know that this is a, a common concern with a lot of people. So was there any sort of input on that? You know, we were able to collect some data on it. We haven't yet dug into it for this report, but we do hope to explore that further going forward because we know that that's a major factor. We know that, uh, that girls are incredibly social, but how they're social has changed and is changing. And I think it's very much part of what we're seeing as an overall drop off, both for boys and for girls. Participation is going down across the board. And uh, so I think when you look at how uh, important the social factor is that girls report within sport, finding ways to intentionally fuel that through their sport engagement is one of the things that we're really recommending. This is something they're looking for. So if you want to engage them, make sure you're providing it in a way that feels safe and welcoming and really um, uh, ultimately satisfies that important part of them. Well, yeah, because they're getting that dopamine hit from the online uh, stuff. So that's what they're essentially, they should be getting through the sports instead. So I'm, I know that this rally report was done obviously pre-COVID, but I'm curious if your organization has concerns about how COVID will impact uh, girls in sports. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it's interesting when you look at uh, the data and the, the thought leadership that's coming out from everywhere from the UN to uh, violence against women organizations, organizations focused on economic empowerment for women across the board, they're concerned about how COVID-19 is impacting women and girls. When we take that and look at that within the sports system in particular, we're concerned that as the return to play happens, and we know that it's going to take many different forms, what we know is that unless we're intentional about including women in those plans and girls, uh, it's not just going to happen. We know that when we see the gap that we have that we're dealing with already, that is a long historical legacy in sport. It's not going to fix itself overnight, and it's definitely, um, we're going to see girls left on the sidelines unless we're really, really focused on making sure that they come back into sport. 
So it's not just about when and where and how sport is going to come back. We also have to be asking like, who's going to come back <laughs> and make sure that that includes girls and women. So um, was there anything in the rally report that surprised you? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I was surprised actually to see just how influential parents are on girls and their participation. Seems logical actually when you think about it, given that parents are the ones enabling it on so many fronts. But I was really expecting to see coaches and role models and things like that to really maybe be in that, that higher position. But it's parents and we parents know, we know how influential we are on our kids. But when you consider uh, what sport means for girls and that so many of them are dropping out, I think it really underscores the, the responsibility that we have as parents to positively influence their experience and their choices. And what we saw was that when moms and dads are active, when parents are active, their girls are three times more likely to be active. Th this was my next question. This, that, so you've literally answered it for me. Was, was there a connection between if parents were active and their children were active? Absolutely. Three times. Three wow. times more likely their girls are to be active. And, and I think that really reflects the idea of, you know, the priorities that a family has based on the parents' interests. You know, if they're excited to get up and get out the door and go move their bodies in some ways, you know, they create the conditions for the whole family to do that. And it becomes part of the family's culture and traditions uh, as far as how they spend their time and their money and other sorts of things. So, uh, so it really isn't just about, you know, going and sitting in the stands and cheering them on as important as that is. It's about moving too. And I think that that sounds like a win-win. Yeah, and it's just it's just osmosis, right? They're just watching. You don't even have to talk to them about it. It's just doing it. Um, so when, you know, it's great to know all these things and, and have the data in front of us, but what's the reality? What do we lose as a society when we don't have girls participating in sports? Well, I really appreciate you asking that question because, uh, you know, at Canadian Women in Sport, we are motivated by the idea of what sport does for women out in the world and how ultimately sport can contribute to achieving equity for women in society in all areas. And so when we look at that in an, at an individual level, uh, it was quite powerful to see what uh, the girls and women uh, who we, we surveyed throughout their lives, what, um, what they said about how sport positively influences their self-perception, um, as well as uh, just sort of how they engage in the world. And there's other studies that have shown that um, with uh, senior executive women, 94% of them played sport. 74% of them said that sport was a major factor in them advancing in their education and careers in the way that they did. So there's a lot of different ways in which we understand sports sets girls up for leadership, for greater confidence, for greater resilience that they can bring to their education, to their careers, and ultimately also to their communities, right? Stronger women create stronger communities, and we would argue as well that the sports system benefits so much. Women are, are missing in a lot of leadership roles. We don't have very many women coaching. We don't have enough women leading, making those decisions, creating 
the future of our sports system. So we'd love to see more women and greater diversity ultimately in those decision-making roles and sport will be better for it. I'm glad that you mentioned diversity actually. Did you break it down uh, by say uh, new immigrants to the country and, and their participation in sports? We looked at a number of different factors. Uh, for instance, we um, looked at different racialized groups to understand, you know, for Indigenous girls, for Black girls, um, what does that look like uh, for them? As I mentioned, for um, people in different income brackets, ability, uh, various factors like that. And um, there was quite a range. So what I think that we see and understand from this study is number one girls and women are incredibly diverse we're 50 percent of the popular population there is no single experience that we necessarily all share within sport uh, and more than that uh, when you layer on different different identities so for instance black women or indigenous women or a woman with a disability we understand that the barriers compound so become greater um, and that ultimately tells us two things. Number one, we do need some more research on this because there isn't enough understanding of the experience of these girls and women. Uh, but the second piece is uh, we need to become more nuanced ultimately in the way that we look at this and uh, more supportive of listening to the girls and women, asking them what it is that they're looking for and how we can best support them. And that varies. And so let's keep the conversation going. Let's ask the questions, be curious, and then design with them, not for them. Do you look at, so I imagine that you, this was, you know, looking at extracurricular sports. Do you look at sports in the school as well and how that is managed? Through this study, we didn't necessarily parse out the difference between in-school and out-of-school, but there have been studies in the past looking at that. And certainly we know uh, from our 2016 report that the dropout rate of uh, girls in school sports is actually higher than it is in the extracurricular sports space. Uh, we know that as soon as uh, phys ed becomes... Not mandatory, they're out of there. <laughs> They're out of there. They're out of there. Uh, and again, it's a real shame because there is a literacy that comes from moving your body and learning all of these different skills. And this is key to being active throughout your life and aging in a way that's, that's healthy and supportive of a, of a good quality of life, not to mention all the other benefits we've talked about. So um, it is quite concerning also within school that it is a you know, it's, it's quite democratic in the sense that a lot of extracurricular sport, especially organized sport, is it's, it's costly, uh, whereas school sport is better supported and subsidized in many respects. And so this is the place where every kid shows up every day. They're a captive audience. The more we can optimize girls' engagement in sport and physical activity within the, sport, uh, within the school ecosystem, uh, the better we're going to be. Okay. Go. Now we've got all of this data. We know <laughs> all of these things. Where do we go? Uh, where do we go? Well, I would say that there's been some great things happening, as I mentioned. Um, you know, there has been some wonderful government support, some investment at different levels of government, um, increased accountability on the sport organizations. 
in this just to you know pay attention and support equity and inclusion for women in sport but uh, but we've got a long ways to go uh, this is a big complex topic the good news is that every person involved in this can contribute to positive change and every small bit helps whether it's positively influencing one girl or changing policies for an entire sport um, so we talk about a number of things in the report um, some of them are definitely about creating positive and supportive conditions which media and, and companies from small businesses to big corporations can do with with their dollars and resources um, coach education is a key part of this and I would love parents in with that as well the more that those who are kind of delivering and influencing sport understand about what girls are looking for and how to create those great circumstances for them the better and in Canada we have some fantastic tools and resources on this already there's been some great work done by a number of organizations so it's really about um, people becoming aware of this and then um, getting access to those sorts of opportunities so that they can be more successful in creating these circumstances or these conditions and keeping these girls in sport. Do you offer guidance and help to organizations across Canada if this is what you, so this is your main mandate? Yeah. So at Canadian Women in Sport, we really consider ourselves as a partner to sport organizations at every level of the sports system. And our goal in that is to really build their capacity to be inclusive in everything that they do. And that we see, you know, the more successful we can be in that, the more we're going to create a new normal. So we work with everything from national sports, really at the highest level of our Canadian sports system, uh, all the way to the grassroots, helping, as I mentioned, with you know, what are the best practices for um, program design and delivery for girls and women? Um, how do you create uh, an inclusive and diverse board? Because we know that that is where the decisions get made about investment and resources, um, policies, who, who benefits from the, the sport organization in effect. So cutting across a number of different, um, a number of different pieces, and that means that wherever you sit in the system, there's something that you can do and there's supports available for you. If people want to find you then and, 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 and talk to you and, and consult with you, where would they go? So the best first stop is our website. So that's womenandsport.ca. We're also really active on social media. So Women and Sport CA is our handle across all of our platforms. Uh, and we're one of the best sources of information, uh, current information about women in sport. And there's links to webinars and resources and online learning, as well as lots of different events and frankly, just different ideas and practices that are, that are taking shape across Canada in every different sport. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, let's hope that this actually turns around and post-COVID, uh, we get a rush of girls <laughs> back to sport. We would love to see that. I know people are tired of being cooped up at home uh, and we're really excited to see where things go from here. Excellent, thank you so much.
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.